For just a moment, pause the life you know, take a deep breath, and go with me to the dusty streets of Bethlehem some 2,000 plus years ago. At this very moment in time, there is no Matthew, Luke, or John. There's no New Testament, no Doctrine and Covenants, or Book of Mormon. All we know is what has been prophesied of in Holy Scripture about a promised king whose arrival would signal a great change in the people who waited upon his triumphant reign. Who was this Redeemer as we know him from the pages of the Old Testament? He was known by many names, spoken of in many types and signs, and testified of by those who had felt the sanctifying power of his holy name. He is the hope for the downtrodden. He is the life to the perishing. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He is Jesus Christ. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. My favorite Christmas tradition that helps me focus on the Savior is reenacting the nativity scene with my children. We don't really have a ton of Christmas traditions in my family, but one that we do is sibling gifts um, on Christmas Eve. We share this Christmas story and we say a prayer to remember the reason why we celebrate the Savior's birth. We sing hymns during Christmas Eve to Christmas morning. And it's so exciting because my mom is cooking and we're having all these hymns sung. We have wonderful um, Christmas books and we wrap up the same Christmas books every year. And then the grandkids get to take one of those Christmas books, open it up, and as we read and laugh and are together as a family, remember the Savior. Welcome everybody, thank you so much for being here and Merry Christmas. Today's discussion topics are gonna to focus around the theme of Christmas as we are finishing up the Old Testament and transitioning into the New Testament. And the two topics we're gonna to discuss today are first, his name shall be called Wonderful, and second, I rejoice in my Redeemer. And to help us with our discussion, we wanna welcome back our good friend, James Goldberg. James, thank you so much for being here. Merry Christmas, Ben. I can't think of a better way to finish off the year than having James as our scholar today. James Goldberg is a historian for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a poet and a writer. And our very special guest today is President Bonnie H. Corden. President Corden, welcome to the show. Thank you. President Bonnie H. Corden is the president of the Young Women's Organization of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Very excited to learn from you today and to uh, get some insights about Christmas as we dive into these two topics. As we are ready to jump into our first topic, um, you know, his name shall be called Wonderful. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about the connections that we find in the Old Testament and with this first topic? Yeah. So I love Christmas music and, and a really famous piece of Christmas music that a lot of people love is Handel's Messiah which comes from the book of Isaiah. Okay. And so on Christmas, we thought we'd go back and dive first into this language that for some of you, I always, it's hard not to hear this verse sung, <laughs> right? But Isaiah is speaking to the children of Israel um, and looking forward to, to a day of redemption. And he says about the Messiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, 
the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so here in this verse, we have that anticipation that, that Jesus is going to come, that redemption is going to come. And we have this thing where we're given names, right? The kind of names somebody might associate with a king, um, kinds of names that, that might have specific meanings of comfort. And I think you see people find their own names for God, like, like Hagar called God Elroy, the one who sees me, God who sees oh. me, right? And sometimes God reveals names, right? When he came to Moses in the burning bush, he said, I am that I am, right? My, my name is I am, tell the people I am have sent you. So we've had this theme of all kinds of different names people use to relate to God. President Corden, uh, I'm interested in some of your thoughts on the reasoning, you know, as James was talking about why there are so many different names and is there a particular name that kind of connects with you as we talk about Christ? You know, <clears throat> names are powerful, aren't they? And there's so many. But I'm always intrigued that there are just a list of them for the Savior. And I think it's because we need him to be so many different things in our life. That, you know, so is there a favorite one? Like, I love the Prince of Peace because in my life, I always seek to have that peace. And so I need him to be that Prince of Peace. But there are many times and I'm like, no, today I need you just to be my bread of life. Or I need you to be the way. And I think when we center our lives on the Savior, you realize that all those names are so important because you need him to be something that day that maybe will we know that no one else can be. And that's why I love there's so many names for the Savior. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, you know, I would love to hear from the audience on, you know, as we look at this graphic behind us, there are several names of Christ. Are there any names up there that you uh, especially connect with? Joy. Um, specifically, counselor and advocate are two of my very favorites because when we think of the people that we talk to every day, not a lot of them can sometimes go in those categories where they're not a safe space in order to be a counselor and give you the best advice to help you get through things. And when you're going through hard things, you always want someone on your side and the Savior is always on your side. So having that advocate that is going to fight for you, even when you're at your worst, when you're at your best, he's always there and he's going to give you the best advice to make you the most happy. Joey, when has the Savior you know, been a specific advocate for you in your life? The Savior's been obviously my my biggest advocate when I know I've done something wrong mm -hmm. and when I've chosen to really internalize um, that feeling of godly sorrow of, man, I really did not want to do that. Instead of that feeling of constantly beating yourself up or feeling like I can never be good enough or um, why would the Savior still want me? He's that constant voice of being that advocate of, you're always worth it for me. You're always someone that's going to um, that I'm going to want with me, even when you make mistakes and even when you make a wrong choice on purpose, when you choose to repent and you choose to go to him for that, um, that counsel and that um, forgiveness, it's always going to be there. And I just love that about him. I love how the Savior becomes an advocate sometimes between you and your own thoughts and telling you that, that you're okay. And we had another comment from Colin. Yeah, I think my favorite name, it's the most generic in my mind, but the Savior. Um, I, I do a lot of messing up, and I, there's just no way that I can get back to Heavenly Father by myself. And I, I just think that reliance on Jesus Christ for constant grace, constant mercy, to be able to be connected with the Father, like He just, He saves me. 
Colin, how do you have the, the strength of faith to keep going back after you feel like you've messed up perhaps to always go back to him as your savior? That's a good question because sometimes I ask myself that. <laughs> um, I think, honestly, I just think it's just because of the foundation and testimony that I've already built. Because um, there's many times, like in all honesty, where I just want to quit. Like, I'm like, this is just too hard. Following all these commandments is too hard. But remembering why I'm in the church, remembering my relationship with the Savior and how he loves me perfectly. That's a beautiful thought, Colin. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, as, we, as we're talking about Christmas, we're sitting in this lovely setting, you know, and it's such a wonderful time of year. I can't help but think back to when I was a kid. Um, I've mentioned this before. My dad passed away when I was 11. And I remember sitting there the first Christmas, the first of anything was always the hardest, especially that first Christmas. And so I can't help but think that as, as we talk about the joy of, of this season, there are some that perhaps may not be finding that joy, feeling that joy right now. And that's gotta be pretty difficult. What do we say to those that aren't feeling that happiness that generally is associated with this time of year? In 2016, we were, um, I had just been put into the primary general presidency and I didn't realize, they said we had December off, so I took them at their word. I didn't realize we don't get all of December <laughs> off. And uh, unexpectedly, my little um, oldest grandson passed away. Um, just such a shock. And, you know, a couple weeks later after we had the funeral, um, I had an assignment to go to the primary children's hospital. And as I went and I walked into this room that had Christmas lights and everything in this little hospital room of Oliver, he had written with his cute hand, <clears throat> Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not to thine own understanding. And here this little boy was fighting for his life with cancer, eight years old. And it was Christmas time. And that one person helped me remember about the Savior and how important it is that people are with us. So I hope that everybody who's struggling has the courage to reach out and that we have the courage to reach out to others because I think that helps us understand the, the love of the Savior. This is a really old theme. Everything we go through in this life, somebody's been through, right? And so we're, we're never alone in our suffering, even though sometimes it feels so much that way. But in that same chapter of Isaiah, that gave us wonderful counselor, the mighty God, in verse 2, chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. So whether you're somebody who's, who's lost someone and Christmas is different because of that for you, or whether you just, just feel isolated and alone, you're part of a people, right? A people who have walked through darkness, who, who know the shadow of death, and that's who God's light shined on. Thank you for sharing that with us. We had a question that came in from uh, some of our viewers asking about you know, some of the things that led up to his birth. And I'd love to watch that and just get some more uh, insights on what they have to ask. My Louis Lele. I'm Bulai Minaka. We're the Buniwai family from Ha'ula, Hawaii. Although we don't have a white Christmas, the symbols of Jesus' birth are all around us. From the top of Mauna Kea, the tallest mountain in the world, stars shine brighter there than anywhere else. And they are beautiful. But we still wonder, why was the star chosen 
to lead the wise men to Jesus. And why were they qualified as wise? Hey, I'll give up any white Christmas to spend my Christmas <laughs> in a place like that. <laughs> That's a really good question. Why was the star chosen to lead the wise men to Jesus? I, I don't know why. You know, I have no idea. But one of the things we do know back then is that the sky was something they could see at night. Mm -hmm. You know, when I look out my window, because of all of the artificial lights, I can't see all the stars. So I don't know, but... One thing we do know is the Lord probably placed it in a place that everyone could notice. And because he wants all to come unto Christ. And so why was the star chosen? Well, I don't know. But I'm sure that the fact that they could see the, the stars so clearly back then. And you would imagine if you've ever been out in, you know, in a remote place in the forest somewhere in the desert, the stars are everywhere. You can see so many stars. So to, to have a star that stood out that much, you'd imagine it probably was pretty bright and noticeable. And we learn in the Doctrine and Covenants that, that God speaks to us according to our understanding, our language. And so if these priests were, were looking at the sky and expecting to connect with God by kind of reading stars, then God could work with, with where they were mm -hmm. watching, right? As, as we look to him, he turns to us. So as we were talking about uh, following a light that leads to Christ, I would love to hear some of your thoughts on how do you find the light of Christ in a sometimes darkened world? Lewis. Um, on my mission, my mission president um, and I had a, a conversation about this in an interview um, where I had asked him a similar question. And he said that uh, back in those days when there was no GPS, they use the stars to find direction. Um, and th those guys were very, they were very astronomical people. So they would look at the stars, know where they're going, north, east, south, um, west. And so when that star appeared, like um, Sister Bonnie said, it was just very unusual. And they, they, they wondered. And because those people were very spiritually in tune, they knew that that had to be something phenomenal. That had to be something spiritual. Something was that direction. Something good was heading that direction. And so that's why they followed it. So what's the connection that you can make with that experience with you and your life on how you find Christ? The funny thing is, that was one of the reasons why we're having that conversation is that that was also a symbolic of how we would never um, stray off the covenant path if we, do, if we follow Christ. Because those wise men, they knew there was something spiritual back there. But when they were following that path, it led up to something amazing, something wonderful, something that they were not expecting. Lewis, what a great comment. Any response? I thought that was wonderful insight on making that connection. Yeah, I think on a really basic level, what, what makes the wise men wise is that they follow light, right? And that's one thing, whatever we go through in life, that if we can turn and look upward and find that light and follow it, Life just goes so much better. We could I be agree. called wise men. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because we would be wise enough to follow. I love that. Absolutely. So as we're talking about, you know, Christmas and the joys of Christmas, uh, recognizing that sometimes it's not always easy at this time of year, I'd love to hear from you on how have you found the joy and happiness at Christmas when things weren't particularly going so well for you in your life? 
Mary. I feel like for me, Christmas is hard because um, I'm not with family here. And so, and I really love Christmas with family. It's amazing. We sing hymns, we cook. It's a whole joy to wake up in the morning. And I don't get to do that anymore as often. And um, it's been a while I was, we were able to gather as a family to actually have Christmas. So for me, that has been dark. But I realized like most of the time I call my mom and like we would have that conversation over the phone and really stay up all night, like just talking on the phone and asking her what she's doing and like maybe telling the story to her. Um, and that's how I connect with them. But it's just harder, like not being physically there with her anymore and really feeling that warmth of family together. And, and Mary, how has making that adjustment with being with your family, how has that increased the, the joy and happiness that you find at Christmas time? I think the joy for me is knowing that family still cares and they're still going to be there no matter what. And my mom being understanding of what my situation is, even if I can't go down and see her, she's still cool and she still answers the call and she still has a conversation and she still shows that love no matter what, you know. And so that's what's important to me for Christmas. Thank you so much, Mary, for sharing that. And thank all of you for your comments and for your uh, insights on our first topic and his name shall be called Wonderful. To have held Jesus Christ for the first time, it makes me think of Mary feeling very humbled. I was humbled when I held my first daughter. She had some health issues, and I really relied on the Savior to help me embrace her and be the mother I needed to be, and I'm sure Mary felt the same with raising the Savior of the world. Being present when Christ was born, um, it's hard to imagine, but I would, I would think it would be wonderful. I would embrace it. I think it's uh, uh, a very lucky opportunity for a mother. Um, overwhelming, of course, um, but uh, being able to see a child that you now have responsibility to take care of and knowing that that's going to be a grand um, messiah to, to all the world uh, would be wonderful. Our second topic we're going to discuss today is I rejoice in my Redeemer. But first, we want to have a little bit of fun with you guys. And so because it's Christmas, and as we're talking about rejoicing, I just want to know, what are some of your favorite Christmas traditions that you say you rejoice in? Shannon. So I love the Christmas season. I've always loved it as a little girl. And my favorite thing is setting up the nativity and to put different nativities around the house and because I think they're all just a little bit different, but then also dressing up and uh, acting out the nativity as well. I love it. Thank you, Shannon. I love this theme of this topic. I, I rejoice in my Redeemer. James, you want to give us a little bit of history on where this phrase comes from? Sure. A lot of times uh, when we tell the Christmas story, we start in Luke 2. But Luke chapter 1 has a great story. It has actually what used to be my daughter's favorite scripture story when okay. she was little. <laughs> And that is Mary and her relative Elizabeth are both pregnant at the same time. And they get together and Elizabeth feels her son, who will be John the Baptist, leaping in the womb for joy, right? And, and when my daughter was young, she just thought that was so great. This, this baby leaping in the womb, that, that joy really spoke to her. And right after that happens, Mary gives this song, right? Like a psalm of praise. And it starts in Luke chapter 1, 
verse, verses 46 and 47, and Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my savior. So she's looking forward to this, this child growing within her, this child to be born and begins to rejoice. And don't you love that it was an eye of faith? Because she didn't know him yet. He was there inside of her, you know, not, not extremely pregnant, but she rejoiced. She knew that he would be born. And I think that eye of faith, that's helpful for us to look forward to those things that we hear about, we study about, but to have the eye of faith knowing it will happen. The promise will come. So as we talk about the birth of Christ, Christmas, in the first segment, we really focused on this broad scope, overall savior, redeemer of the world. But then we have this sweet little moment where this precious child comes into the world. Uh, what can we speak to of the importance of focusing on Christ as just a, a baby, the Christ child? You know, it is fascinating, isn't it? Because this is the savior of the world. And our heavenly father decided to have him come in a normal and natural way that we all come to the earth as a baby. I have always loved the thoughts that a gentleman, Frank W. Borham, he was an English Baptist preacher. And he talks about something that I thought might be kind of fun to go over. And this is what he said. We fancy that God can only manage his world by big battalions, when all the while he is doing it by beautiful babies. When a wrong wants writing, or a work wants doing, or a truth wants preaching, or a continent wants opening, God sends a baby into the world to do it. That is why, long, long ago, a babe was born at Bethlehem. You think of everybody who's watching. They were born at this time for a purpose. You know, that. and you realize that God loves you so much, He wants you to be part of His great work. You're not just born to fill up space, but he wants you to link arms with him and do this great work. As you're saying that, I can't help but think about your work with the Young Women's Organization. How do you help them fulfill and understand what their purpose is right now? You know, it's remarkable. Um, when the prophet stood back in June of 2018, he stood and invited the first group to gather Israel. You know who he asked? the youth. He said, you have the capacity to be smarter, wiser, and have more impact on the world than any previous generation. And so what is the call? He said to come gather Israel. So we have complete confidence that the Lord will use them in unique and refreshed ways because of who they are and the time that they were born. Yeah. I love that. And we, we don't know how old Mary would have been, but probably in her teens, mm -hmm. sometimes still, women tended to marry in that age range in her time and place. Um, Miriam, her namesake, we know was still a girl when she was watching over her brother, but they had an understanding. They had a vision of the scope of the Lord's work. And you can see that right in Luke chapter 1, verses 51 to 55. And let's see what, what she knew uh, about what it meant that a savior was coming to, to her people in her world. She says in verse 51, 
He hath shewed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So I think you see here this, this young woman, Mary, looking forward with an eye of faith, speaking with boldness. Um, and it's such a wonderful moment to me as I imagine her having crossed and standing on the far shore of her own Red Sea, mm -hmm. right? And she can see the promised land. President Corner, how does it make you feel as we talk about just such a strong young woman in the role that she's playing? Well, you know, what I think is phenomenal, she was strong and she was chosen for this, but she also did her work before you know, the time that the angel came. She knew the scriptures. You can tell with her, her rejoicing that she knew the scriptures. I mean, you think here it says, he has filled the hungry with good things. She probably read about Moses and, and the people wandering and hungry and they needed manna. So I think it's such a powerful example for all of us, especially youth, to realize you, we can know more as we study our scriptures. And there is power that comes in knowing our Savior as we see him in the scriptures. Because Mary knew the prophets, she could speak prophetically. Yes, she could. Right? Looking forward into that future and understanding the themes of what the prophets cared about, right? God delivering his people. You know, and there's a lot of other parallels too. Anytime the Lord is asking anyone to do anything, he always says, Fear not. Mo he told Moses to tell the people as they're standing there and the Egyptian army's over here, the Red Sea's right here and they're stuck in the middle. Fear not. When the angel came to Mary, what did he tell her? Fear not. And, and you can go back through story after story and there is that comforter, or that peace that comes when it says, trust in the Lord with all thy heart. How have you been able to overcome some of your fears as you've been asked, like Mary and others, to do some difficult things? Kiki. I think for me, when um, I was 18, I had just been married. I had had a son who was born with cerebral palsy. And I was terrified because I'm just barely like an adult having this child. But I knew that Heavenly Father sent him to me for a reason. And I didn't know what that was at that time. And I prayed a lot. I fasted I, because I was concerned, like, how can I do this? I'm so young. I don't know if I, I'm made to take on such a big task. But because of my faith and prayers and just having my family there for me to be that support I needed, I was able to get through it and do everything that I needed to at that time. Kiki, thank you for sharing that. Can you tell us a little bit about how the role of the Holy Ghost helped you to overcome that fear and trust that you were receiving that help from our Heavenly Father? I think the biggest thing was, because I, I spent a lot of time at primary children's by myself, and just praying and having that comforting feeling of peace that everything was going to work out. What a beautiful testimony. Kiki, thank you for sharing that with us. We had another comment uh, on this side from Robin. Um, 
You know, 2015, I was diagnosed with multiple cancers. I have two children, and both of them had made previous commitments, one buying a brand new home and one accepting a job on the East Coast. And so it left me um, to rely on good friends like Christy here. You find strength in that. Even when you feel like no one's around, your family's not around, you can rely on a sisterhood, which is in the church, but we've just been longtime friends forever, so. That's what we saw in Luke 1, mm -hmm. right? Is people coming together. Here's Mary and Elizabeth coming together to rejoice, right? And a theme of the Old Testament is how do people come together to receive salvation? We talked in the first half about titles of Christ, mm -hmm. and one that I love is the Holy One of Israel, because he's my redeemer, but I love remembering he's our redeemer too. Right. Mm. Thank you. I love that. And I love what has been said in Moses when um, the Savior comes to Moses. And the very first thing he does is he says who he is. And he gives him a bunch of names. And I think it's interesting as we connect with each other, we find that the Savior has so many names as we become friends, as we serve each other, we realize that the Savior ends up being in that center core of our friendships. So it is remarkable. And what a glorious day to have this as Christmas, that we get to be together as friends, building on what the scriptures say. Hey James, uh, what are the thoughts you have as we are focusing on this, theme, on this topic of rejoicing in our Redeemer? Yeah. I love how the discussion ended up being about rejoicing and, and courage and how those fit together. And I just hope when we do those nativity plays mm -hmm. um, that you can look the, the girl in the eye who's going to be Mary and help give her a sense of the strength and the power that comes with that role. I love that. Thank you. I really love that because there is a power in the role when the Lord asks us to be part of his work, whatever it might be. And ours won't be the role that Mary had, but what a powerful role she had. I was just at the other uh, Sunday, I was at a young women's class. And at the end, the bishop came in and they were setting apart a new class presidency. And the girls in this class presidency were 11, and 12, one of the 11-year-olds came up and she said, President Corden, this is my very first calling. She said, I want to do exactly what the Lord wants me to do. And I thought, don't we all have that same hope in our hearts? Just, can I tell one other point that just amazes me on Mary? In her calling, she taught him who he was because, you know, we know when he was in the temple and he was lost for three days to Mary and she find, they find him, he says, but I'm about my father's business. She had been teaching him since he was a baby that he needed to be about his father's business. And I love that her role the whole time was to be that support and vision for the Savior as he became and is the redeemer of the world. And he, she was there when he was crucified. So Mary did not pick up that role just at birth. 
she rejoiced her whole life in helping the Savior. And I think we do the same thing. We get a call just that, like that little 11-year-old, and we rejoice in the Savior through all the responsibilities we have. What a beautiful thought to close up our second discussion topic. I'm excited to continue this discussion as we move on to footnotes. Audience, thank you so much for, for your comments and for sharing with us. As we've talked about our second discussion topic, I rejoice in my Redeemer. Today at Come Follow Up, I was able to feel the Spirit testify to me of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and I am so grateful for Him and I know that He lives. I learned emphasis on love and what Christ, what that looks like. I think that was something I needed to hear today because I feel like I'm struggling with so many stuff and it's good to be reminded that the Lord loves us. I felt that God was there for me and I have felt that um, He has not really left me albeit of the many um, difficult circumstances that I have been in my life. I just have to focus on the road forward that he would still be there on that long run road. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. All right, we can go so many different places. We've talked about some wonderful things. Uh, I'd love to, you know, as we just got done speaking about uh, rejoicing in our Redeemer, I'd love to continue that conversation of just examples of rejoicing from the scriptures. Yeah. I'd mentioned to you that Mary is Miriam, right? The name is the same. And when we have gone to my aunt's for Passover, she loves music. And so she sings several songs throughout. And one is about Miriam dancing past the Red, Red Sea. So she'll sing about, you know, Miriam dancing with her timbrels and that sort of thing. And that's in um, Exodus 15 um, that we see how Miriam did it. So, so verse 20 is where that song comes from. And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. So you've got just this cool image of, of everybody singing and dancing together, that. right? And you don't think sometimes, right, with a moment like the Exodus, I think sometimes we we think of those moments as being very serious and somber. And so we miss that, that there's this music and rejoicing too. I think it was the gratitude. I mean, they just, they were up against an, an immense obstacle. I love the fact that the Lord just gave them an abundance to rejoice about because he opened the Red Sea and then it was dry land. Can you imagine that? And so the rejoicing was just such a huge part of who they were. I think in life too, there's those times where something is really difficult and harrowing and you're almost giddy with exhilaration afterwards, right? And have that kind of high it comes down to. In this chapter two, we do have in verse 12, that image of the Lord's arm. It says, thou stretched out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. So, so the same way that Mary is mentioning the Lord's arm, it's, it's pointing back to this. I love too that, that when we go through something difficult, it's not just that we made it, it's that sometimes in those moments of extremity, that's when we see the Lord's arm. Yes, and I think that's an important part. The gratitude, not just that we made it, you're right, but that the Savior was there the whole time. Yep, I mean, that's our hand cart 
right? Well, hardly any pioneers took handcarts. Most of them came through other ways, but we remember those few companies that had it hardest because they experienced something, right, in their extremity. You know, a lot of different cultures are focused heavily on, on singing and rejoicing, you know, and sometimes you have some countries where they have so little in compared to, you know, a lot of other parts of the world, yet the expression of gratitude through singing, rejoicing, can we look at that as a sign of, this is what I'm giving. This is my offering to you and my expression to you of my love through this singing and rejoicing. I like that a lot. Um, so my mom's side of the family, right? When mm -hmm. we go to the Punjabi weddings, my favorite parts are sometimes late at night, night or two before when the, the bride's side is together and you're waiting for the groom's procession to come the next day, right? They'll turn off the speakers and everybody starts making up little verses of song, oh, right? Wow. And they respond to each other. That's and a it culture. Is, <laughs> yeah, it's this way that you offer a part of yourself, right? Yeah. And I think God wants that, right? Each of us individually to share ourselves through dance, through song, whatever it may be. Well, how can you, can you speak to us a little bit about, you know, and maybe even examples from the scriptures of people coming together collectively to rejoice in our Savior? Well, as you were talking, and this may be just a little bit different, you think about Christmas, you think about lighting the world. And, you know, I probably, in our, my family, we don't just make up songs. You know, we sing the traditional <laughs> Christmas songs, and we don't express that. And as I'm with the youth all over the world, they're also expressing their love and rejoicing the Savior in a different way. A lot of times it's through social media. But you see how every culture and every period of time wants to show joy and gratitude. Um, and so they put things out there, really, their, their fingerprint out to the world to say, Jesus lives. Jesus Christ is our savior. I remember in 2020, uh, when President Nelson asked us to just take a week to share something we were grateful for each day on social media, I ended up saving mine Did you? in a separate little file, right? Because that exercise meant a lot to me to do it and to come together with other people and share and see, right? And I think that's, yeah, that's an important theme. That does remind me of this, this next song I wanted to mention okay. is in Judges. So Deborah sees the children of Israel have been oppressed and she calls together and she gets Barak and says, there's problems, we've got to coordinate, we've got to lead people up. And so they end up going up in battle and defeating their oppressors. Chapter five is where they rejoice and where they sing this song. If you look at just verse two, it says, praise you the Lord for, for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. And I like that phrase, the people willingly offered themselves to the work. And so now we're gonna sing together, we're gonna dance together so people can willingly offer themselves again in that moment of joy. You know, and I think it comes back to what the prophet had asked all of us to willingly show gratitude to such a point that you saved yours, you know? And so that's the cultural thing that as we willingly rejoice together, there's a lot that comes out of that. Yeah, there's this moment of connection, mm -hmm. right? When we, when we do it because we can, right? Then we share that memory and there's something deeper. Another thing I wanted to mention from Judges chapter five in terms of Mary, Okay. Right? Mary's Christ's mother, right? Through that, you get the sense when, when Jesus dies, he asks John to take her. So she becomes kind of a mother 
to his followers too, right? So there's this connection. Um, we have this phrase, sometimes comes up in patriarchal blessings, of being a mother in Israel. And that verse, a lot of people don't realize, is from Judges chapter 5 uh, in reference to Deborah. So it's in verse 7, mm -hmm. where Deborah is describing, it's her, her verse, where she gets, my turn now to say what I did, right? <laughs> and she says, the inhabitants of the villages ceased, right? Everybody was so scared, they were hiding out. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel. Wow. And my read, at least, of what that verse means is not just that Deborah may have been a mother, because it doesn't mention her kids, is she's a mother to Israel, right? And stepping up and acting like a mother for other people. And I think it's, it's beautiful that the scriptures celebrate both the literal act of motherhood mm -hmm this like highest form of hospitality you can do, taking someone into your own body, but also this motherhood in the community, motherhood to others. Because there are you know, several women out there that may not have had the opportunity to physically bear children that can still take on that role as a mother in other aspects. I love that. Oh yeah, mothering is a powerful, powerful tool that sometimes we overlook because we've all been mothered by people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think of all the mothers in my life that I just treasure because they had such an impact. And I'm sure if we just had a minute, you could go down and just tell story after story of women in your life that mothered you. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting that it's powerful enough throughout the Old Testament that becomes a symbol for God and what God's work is, right? Can a mother forget her suckling child? Mm -hmm. And my wife always says, what suckling child ever let a mother forget? <laughs> um, but can a mother forget her suckling child? Neither can I forget thee, O Israel. As a mother hen gathers her chicks, right? And so it's, it's not just about, you know, the physical act of being a mother is so important that it also becomes this symbol and metaphor for what God does and what we can do as his disciples. Yeah, and everyone can mother. I mean, yes. when you think about that opportunity to nurture people. Absolutely. The next story, if you go to 1 Samuel um, chapter 2, uh, and it's about verses 1 to 10, is about Hannah. Okay. Who for years couldn't have a child, right? And infertility is still a struggle that a lot of people identify with. At the time, people also kind of wondered, is there something wrong with you, right? They didn't have the same biological view of how things go, so they'd think, is God not trusting you with a kid? It was right? more of a spiritual condemnation, I think, not so much as a physical as much as what did you do where God is, there's this pleasure yep. in your world. Yeah. Yep. So Hannah is, is wrestling with that and worrying about that and dealing with disapproval and judgment, and she doesn't let that drive her away from God. She lets those worries drive her toward God. And every day she's going to the temple, she's praying so fervently, people see her lips moving. Some people go, is she drunk? Is she talking to herself, <laughs> right? Chapter two, verses um, one through 11 is where she gives the song that's the closest of any to Mary's song. Mary had Hannah in her mind, no doubt, right? Um, I love verse two where she says, there is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. And then in the same song, some of the heart of those principles that, that Mary was sharing, where she goes, okay, the Messiah is coming. These are the things that are gonna happen. They echo what Hannah says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses eight and nine. Could you read those for us, President Corden? I would love to. 
He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill, to set them among the princes, and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail. Yeah, I, I really love this, this image, right? Of, of lifting up and going through. And you think about Jesus' own life, right? And he was in some of those places, right? God's son, the Prince of Peace, spent a lot of time with nowhere to lay his head. Mm -hmm. President Corden, how do you see that happen as you travel the world and you see some people in some pretty rough circumstances? How do you see them lifted up through Christ? You know, that is a fabulous question because as you do, I know as we were flying into, um, into Africa and we were going into um, Nigeria, there was just this air of lots and lots of people, no space to call your own. But yet when I landed and met those people that had made covenants with the Lord through their baptisms and some had been through the temple, the power that came in their own lives, even though they still were carrying the th bottles of pop on their head, mm -hmm. the many kilos of rice to do the day-to-day -day things, there was hope and there was rejoicing in their eyes. And we see it all over. Um, and so we realize that it doesn't matter the culture, that God is with us throughout all of our lives if we want, and because we have agency. And mm -hmm. I think that's an important part. All of these people in the Old Testament, they chose God. I'm gonna jump way forward to Joseph Smith for just a minute to just show the parallel through history. Here Joseph Smith was in prison in a sad situation. We know that he was in, the, um, in Liberty. He had been praying, he had been pondering, it was cold, they were hungry. But after he had spent time studying and being with the Lord, his last piece in this, in um, Doctrine and Covenants 123.17, he says, Therefore, dearly beloved brethren, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power, and then may we stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. And I love the visual of stretching. Mm -hmm. It's not like, hey, <laughs> he's actually leaning out towards us, but it's our agency where we can say, yes, I want you in my life. And I think how fitting is that as we you know, celebrate Christmas? You know, of course, there are so many things that, that involve with this holiday that, are, that we celebrate to bring us joy. There's also a lot of materialism that comes with that. But to really focus on whatever circumstances you're in, we can rejoice and, and find, you know, that true meaning of Christmas. <laughs> and music, you know, as we talk about that, when they were saying they were dancing and singing, what do we do at Christmas? We sing mm -hmm. and we rejoice in our Savior. I mean, there's nothing like the Christmas songs and the carols that we sing all over the world. And some of them are a little different depending on culture, but every group sings just like they did in the Old Testament. So President Corden, we had talked earlier about, you know, Mary and, and her role and, and what she was asked to do. Uh, can you speak to us a little bit about just the coming together um, of men and women, you know, to further the work of the Lord? 
Oh, I, I think you've just said it so beautifully. <laughs> yes. But don't you love that imagery as you just painted so well? You know, she was riding on a donkey. Maybe she was walking. He was leading her. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's joint. Mm -hmm. You know, you think of all the times. You think of Joseph and Emma, um, Adam and Eve. There's just this power that comes. I was, a friend of mine had done a picture of Noah. Here's the ark. And he had his wife, and she had painted the wife standing. And I thought, I've never seen or even thought that Noah and his wife were doing this, building this ark. But the joy that comes as people lift together, mm -hmm. men and women. Sometimes as we look at this beautiful story of Christmas, and we talk about Mary, which we should in reverence, we do know there was Joseph too, and there was a heavenly father. And we're just linking arms together to help this work come about. And I think this same principle we were talking about of, uh, of remembering that by strength shall no man prevail, right? That it's not our own strength is the big solution to gender relationships, mm -hmm. right? If you come into gender thinking one person's got this strength or that and they're, they're lording it over the other, that, that diminishes the relationship, that gets in the way of the spiritual power. But I love the phrase you used of lifting together, right? Mm -hmm. Because when we lift together, then that extra arm can come and lift with us, right? We, we make room when, when Joseph sees <laughs> that Mary on the donkey needs to stop and we got to find a place now, mm -hmm. that opens up the opportunity for the Lord to create you something. Know, and I love how today in the church and for years, I remember President Hinckley, I loved hearing him talk about his wife and just how there, there was just this partnership and, and our prophets have spoken for years about the role of men and women yeah. together. Yeah. On the ground level, do you feel like, are there things that we can do to improve that as husbands and wives and young men and young women, brothers and sisters in the gospel? Well, absolutely. I think it's remarkable that you think now in missions, that Mission Leadership Council is sister missionaries and elders mm -hmm. and they counsel together. In young women and young men, they're called set apart to be in class and quorum presidencies, and they sit and counsel together in the World Youth Council. I mean, the power for them to listen, to learn from each other in a way that is, is, is powerful. So I think the rising generation yeah. probably will do a better job than we do because they've learned how to listen to each other. And it's, you know, it's really, truly remarkable. But I think the opportunity that we have to, you know, it's kind of like a triangle. You have, in a marriage, you have a husband over here on one side and a woman over on the other side and the Savior at the top. And as they both come towards the Savior, guess what? Their marriage comes closer together. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like that with any friendship. As we both have that common goal as the, as the Savior, we uh, draw closer together. Mm -hmm. And this isn't a new model. Deborah and Barack, yeah, right? Same thing. right? Like the one doesn't work yeah. without the other, but together they're yeah. able to to be those instruments in God's hand to deliver the people, Moses and Miriam, mm -hmm. right? And so I, I love the principle of counseling, and I hope that as, as we do it, we can draw strength in seeing that, that there are models of people who have done this before, and miraculous things happen when they did. Yeah, absolutely. This has been fun. Any last thoughts uh, before we close up this episode and this year that you'd like to share? Yeah, I got one thought. 
And that is some people hopefully had a great year with the Old Testament this year mm -hmm. and found things they, they hadn't known before, found new people to connect with, new, new phrases that'll live in their head. There may be other people who set goals last January <laughs> about how, how this year was gonna go and life came between and it didn't happen that way. That's okay. As we go into the New Testament, right? The thing I say is the New Testament uh, especially the Gospels are like boats that are sailing on this sea of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Okay. <laughs> and so if you didn't get enough this year, if you didn't do as much study as you wanted, don't be afraid. The whole next year, just look for the ways it links back, right? Follow those footnotes. If you're studying in a Bible with italics, figure out where they're from because the Gospels are richer when you see the ways they point back to all that came before, and you see God's eternal covenant. Thank you, I appreciate that. President Corden, final thoughts. Well, this has been a joy, <laughs> an absolute joy, and I wish we could just sit here and do this right. a little bit longer. But I think, you know, for me, I hope people this Christmas season realize they belong, that they are loved and cherished by a heavenly Father, and that we are truly, um, we have a Savior, and we can choose to have Him in our life. And the opportunity to be part of this great work is for everybody. I love the story of the, the birth of the Savior because one of my other spots that we didn't even talk about was the shepherds. And here they came, they said it was a sign, they followed that, that the instruction and came and found the baby. And then their desire was what? To share, to share with what you know. And those shepherds, just went and shared. And I love at the very end, it says, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And I wonder this next year, what will be the things people wonder because you opened your heart enough to let them know about the Savior. President Corden, thank you so much for your time. And it's been, it's been a pleasure, you know, James and I can tell you, it's been a pleasure getting to, to know you and, and learn from you and feel of your goodness. So thank you so much. We've had two great conversation topics today. His name shall be called the Wonderful, and I rejoice in my Redeemer. And thank you all for being with us this year as we've studied the Old Testament. We wanna invite you and encourage you to continue to follow the promptings of the Holy Ghost as they come to you. Please join us next week and next season for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.